Today on Scattered Abroad, you'll get to hear part one of the interview with Karen and Camelia, a young married couple from the island of Trinidad. Joined by their two children in the natural ambience of their country home, the couple discusses how lust for the world and the pride of life turned to a deep and obedient love for God. My story began where um, I was, uh, if I give a little piece of me in the world, you know, mm-hmm. as party going, you know, alcohol, say drugs, and, you know, just, just living as the youth would have it today, enjoying life. And then eventually, you know, I seen that it was like a, a, a never-ending cycle of things, and I decided that I wanted Christ. And, you know, that led to God doing things in such an amazing way that I met certain people and... You know, now here by accepting the country living message, you know, didn't know that because I couldn't have purchased land, but didn't know I was actually following a principle whereby, you know, you go with someone that is older, you help them in terms of their country building, and they was just able to say, well, here you go, here's your little parcel to do what you have to do on it. And that's how my story came to us being here, my part of it. Okay, so what's the other the other half? Well, I had started to watch Water Right quite some years ago. And from my experience, I didn't adhere to the things that I was hearing as quickly. So it took about four years. I could actually count it out, Hmm. you know, from when I started to receive the messages, from when I actually started to practice keeping Sabbath Hmm. and these things. And my state was not good. (laughs) I had got, at the beginning of that year, I had attended at least almost all the, what would be considered fets. In Trinidad, mm-hmm. and at the end of that year is when I had gotten baptized. So wow. God made a transformation quick to grab me out of the world and into his arms. And even before that, I had started, you know, making little changes based on what I was seeing in terms of diet, mm-hmm. in terms of exercise. Oh, yeah. And I was looking for land, <laughs> you know. So I had met Karen at my college, Shiloh, and... From then, we started to yeah, work together, and then yeah. he brought me up here for the first time. I remember my mom was quite disturbed. Yeah. <laughs> Why you would want to go in, in the, the bush, bush. <laughs> <laughs> for lack of better words. And I remember the first time I came up here, all I could see, I said, hmm, this is one banana land. Because that's the most <laughs> that I was seeing, banana trees all over. So bit by bit, bit, by bit God was leading me. And it seemed like it would have taken long for me, but he knew what he was doing because he was working on Carol's behalf and he was working Mm. on mine. Wow. So did both of you grow up Adventist? No. No, No, we didn't. My uh, my background actually has um, going to church in it, but what happened was there was this, you go to church on Sunday, you come home, and then then whatever. So Mm. at a point in time, I started to question exactly what am I doing going to church? I'm feeling like a hypocrite because I'm allowed to partake of carnival, you know, the alcohol when it was smaller. And, you know, it seemed like it, it, it was it was double standard. Right. What I was seeing in the world and in the church, it, it was basically the same. So I said, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. It's either I'm in the world or I'm in church. And I chose the world at that point in time. Mm. Well, I think I was always searching because throughout my years, I was a Roman Catholic before. And... I would constantly be in, out, in, out. You know, it has certain things I question, like, you know, sometimes how when you go to church, they don't encourage you 
at least in my experience, open a Bible for yourself. Right. They have readings, yes. <laughs> you probably learn one or two texts, yes. But the atmosphere is not really geared towards motivating you to study your word as much as their books that you chose to read. Um, First Communion I went to, Confirmation I went to, the works. But no effectual change was really wrought in that because it's not allowing you to know what you believe in for yourself. Right. I remember when I started to go to church in the Adventist church, my mother was like, you know, you was baptized already. Well, baby. Mm. Baby baptism. The yeah. sprinkling. Yes, basically the sprinkling. And she was like, but you do that already, so where is it going? I said, well, if I were to judge where I am now from that baptism, I did not hold it. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it warranted that I go and do it again because I know different things now. I'm practicing different things now. And it's something that I need. So basically, almost no one popped up for my baptism. Wow. Hmm. You know, my ex-boss managed to keep come after. Mm-hmm. But other than that, no one. Everybody that I messaged, nothing. And like God wanted to have me go through that experience with me and him alone. It seemed. Wow. So, um, Karen, you had mentioned that you had come from a, a lifestyle a little bit longer than um, Camelia, but in the fets and the different yeah. partying atmosphere. And there are a lot of young people struggling with that right now. A yeah. lot of people in the world, a lot of people of, of other denominations, and even within the Adventist church, those who are choosing to leave this standard of life, this God-given, these God-given principles, and go into the world to test it out for themselves. So I want to ask you a little bit more about how God led you out of that, that whole realm that you were used to for so long. Okay, so it basically started with, um, there were some members of my family that they worked with certain mass camp bands, I will call them here. So they would work in terms of making costumes and these type of things. So that made it an easy access for us to be able to get to go and jump up in a well, it's called jump up in a jump up in a in a band easily because you know yes that's the family member to this one so we have you know that free access and what had happened was by being sad putting us in kiddies carnivals so mm. early we I can remember basically going back I can remember having kiddies carnival costumes straight into Juve bands and then into the what we call the big people mass. Wow. So we 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 just went from bottom right up. We just followed how it went along with, with, with the passage of time. So we were just in everything. To speak to the to the youths on on the aspect of changing, there were many other aspects of it besides the, the, the carnival the how to say the, the, the carnival realm. We used to lime on the on the block what you know fellows would call these days liming on the block. So we would lime on the block. And you would realize the type of, of language that you would use. You know, it's always, you know, heckling one another and, and dirty jokes about who's mom and, you know, yeah. these type of things. And continuing that lifestyle, I realized that there's a kind of a popularity or what they, they call today peer pressure, that you have to lift a certain standard. So if you do have the, the latest and the this and the cars and the, the girls coming in your home and these type of things, you're not really accepted right. in society as someone who is, you know, cool or hip mm-hmm. and you're always trying to please your friends you, you want to, 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 to be what they are and you want to think so I know while I was going to church before and I spoke about being a hip um, a hypocrite in church I know there were things that I was doing that was not Christian or not or quote unquote church and 
eventually it, it came to that place where I would just struggle mentally because I saw the the popular ones living a type of lifestyle that they have people following them and they, they always want people to be around them. So that type of acceptance too. And eventually I chased after that. So I had people, you know, following me and I would talk very slackly and use type of words and things like people would start to realize that, hey, you know, he's hip, you know, he has the gills, mm -hmm. he has the, 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 the look, the style, the this. So a lot of people was gravitating towards me and I feel like I actually got what I see all the other other young people at my age at that time had in terms of the followers and these things and you know with social media now the whole oh, yes. issue is followers and who is trending and these things so in every way every youth is looking for acceptance in that degree and i had thought i had reached the, the pinnacle of where it could have been i had the girls i maybe didn't have my cars yet but eventually i got a car and you know yeah it was living this lifestyle that people want to follow you they want to be a part of you so in our own way i felt like it was your own god hmm. at that point in time and I noticed I had to upkeep that lifestyle and upkeeping the lifestyle was much harder because basically living a lie. True. You know, so you have to upkeep that lifestyle. So you have to spend money on things people wouldn't spend money on. You have to always have a look here. So because the day that you decrease is the day like, oh, they say doggy dog wool. As you decrease, someone tries to take your position. So mm -hmm. you always need to remain, how we just say, on, on top of your game. You always have to be on top of your game at that point in time. And it was exhausting. It was exhausting to, to live that lifestyle. So to the youth who, who try and keep it, I know it's, it's basically living a lie. I know it's living a lie. And you basically lie. And having to keep up with a lie is very hard and just saying the truth. So you, you lie here and eventually you have to make sure the lie coincides with what you do, how you live, you know, how people perceive you. And that's maintenance. I, that, that's, that's hard. That, that's maintenance in itself. And... It came to the point I was I was totally totally fed up of it. I realized it was just too much, and I said, "Lord, I needed I need you. I need a, a to escape." And I could remember this moment where I was now heading to work, and I reached this place where there's two roads that I have to walk. But I don't know. I'm not I'm not like experienced. I say talking about visions, but it's like at that point in time, the Lord told me, "In life, now there's two roads that you have to choose. Mm -hmm. There's the road that you you give your life completely to me because." I had moments in between whereby I wanted God and one of my brother who was uh, of a certain religion, you know, brought a Bible for me. So that was my kind of first interaction of my own personal Bible. But I was still struggling because you read it, it makes no sense. You throw up your Bible back in the cupboard, you know, that, you know, dust on the Bible. Right. So I, I left it there and I had that situation where now I came to that place where, like this vision was clear before me, you have two roads to choose. And... At that point in time, I said, Lord, I already know what it feels like to live, you know, in the world and have people follow me and, and these things. So I think I'm going to choose you at that time. But I didn't know the string of events that was going to take place after. And I said, Lord, I'm going to choose you at that point in time. Certain individuals came into my life at that time and started to talk to me about the Bible. And at that point in time, I was home at time and I went down on my knees all that happened and I went on my knees and I started to cry and I said Lord I need I need you to, to intervene in my life I, I don't want to live the life that I'm living anymore and I was about to go outside and the Lord had told me you know not to go outside because back in the old area how we live in these areas houses are very close so I have to step out of my house to wash and it so happened that when I was about to leave 
Yeah, I believe it's the Holy Spirit now told me, don't go outside as yet. And I found that strange because that was the first time I had that type of probably interaction with what might have been known as a higher power or mm-hmm. whatever is the case. And when it says not to leave yet, I said, okay. And I stayed in there, I gathered up my clothes and my well, whatever it is to wash. And then eventually it says, oh, the Spirit of told me, go outside now. And when I stepped out, there were these two folks walking through my community. And I was like, Lord, it cannot be that religion. And I only said that in the aspect of, you know, there's a particular religious group that does a lot of missionary work walking around. When you say by name, you know? So I said, Lord, it cannot be that religion. And eventually I, I, I walked kind of, you know, casually behind them because I didn't want to receive what they were given and thing because I usually know what they give out and thing. But when I, I come up behind them, the lady turned around and she saw me and I saw she had a book called The National Sunday Law. Mm. Um, my dad had that book in his house, but I never had interest to read it because thinking it's just another religious book. Then they had one called What's Behind the New World Order. And I said, hey, I never saw that one. And I took it. It had the Pope in front of it at the, at the, at the time, the present Pope at that point in time. And I started to read this book, and it talked about the persecution of the saints and the Sabbaths and this, and this thing. And in my life, I was experiencing some of that because when I know was accepting these changes. Remember I said, keeping the lifestyle that you had, a lot of people tend to imitate you. But now that I, I was living a life that I was changing, a lot of people was calling me man of the cloth and pulpit and, mm. and you know, priests and these things. And Kind of poking fun. Yeah, they were poking fun at me at that point in time. And I eventually said, why all this persecution for doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. And I started to realize through that book, you know, when... I accepted the law, there would have been a lot of um, heckling and and persecution, as that's what I would have called it at that time, time, you know? It was persecution that I was receiving. I was like, I know I'm doing the right thing because I'm receiving persecution. For it. And those are, those, that's, that's one of the, the instruments that God used to bring about that change in me. And I don't know for anyone who ever had that experience, but I always remember that one whereby I know the Holy Spirit told me not to go outside at the point in time. And then when they told me to go outside, and to meet these particular people, and that had to be God. That was an experience that you know I hold dear to me since that point in time. You know, it's just it's so encouraging. First off, for you to be so honest about that worldly lifestyle and how exhausting it is to you know keep up that that facade, that yeah. that picture. You know, and that's that's the truth, and the truth will make you free, yeah. right? That's the truth, and and that's not said very often. So I'm really. I'm hoping that some of our listeners, even those who are striving to have that type of worldly success and image, would hear these words and would realize that it's it's really all vanity, you know. But I, I want to talk a bit more about the the persecution aspect um, that both you and Camelia have experienced, even um, in deciding to come out into the country. Um, Camelia, what did, did you have any opposition to that? Your family, friends? Yes, I did. You know, my family couldn't understand. My family couldn't understand it because I have qualifications. I have passes. In the world standard on paper, I'm very smart. For instance? Well, well, I have eight passes. That's enough to get you into almost any job, you know, involving getting money Mm -hmm. and being able to be well off and in what would be common practice down here. You know, no man don't have to tell you, you can't do this or you can't do that. Mm -hmm. You could maintain yourself. You know, so we often push that image for women because mm-hmm. it's either you end up on one side or the next. It's either you you be dominated by a man or you 
have enough that you rule him over him. Gotcha. You know, so both of them are not in God's plan and design for a marriage or even any relation or anything like that. He's supposed to have a house meet. Right. A house a companion that mm-hmm. can work with you and grow with you and strengthen you and, you know, keep you encouraged in the Lord. And I believe he picked just that for me. Now, when you usually hear of someone having something to offer, and you know, my husband, well, my boyfriend at the time, came to my mom. I don't think she understood that courtship leads to marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, he explained himself, you know, he has land, okay, that's great. He has, you know, promises to build a house, okay, that's great, you know. We didn't have a vehicle as yet, so all right, we work on that, okay. But that's all. I'm here, money in the bank. Mm-hmm. I'm here, good, you job. know, sol- solid job, nothing like that. These people have to be crazy. <laughs> you know, who in their right mind will settle for something like that, having qualification, exactly. the ability to go and work. You're free you're by yourself, you're young, you're now starting. And I just had in mind what God wanted. I've looked at the characters of David and his former training, Moses, and his retraining, mm. Elijah. You know, the times where God was able to talk to them, the best, I would say, is in a quiet atmosphere, an atmosphere that you're able to hear him clear. You know? And I've seen that not only in my life, but in the life of my children, where they are quite different from what I see out there. You know, the, the, the hustle and bustle, continuously moving, moving, moving. You know, not being able to settle down, having... I, I see some things that parents have to go through now, people who are children around my time, and it's like they they up all 12 o'clock in the night and these children would not sleep. Mm. They would not. How could they with so much going on? It had a lot going on. And you know what happened that time? We had not finished building house yet. And we came up here for, I think it was the Christmas season. And then we went back down. And because there were lights outside, Cadmilla would not sleep. Wow. Because it was she, clearly affecting her system. Exactly. So you know when it's morning mm-hmm. because there's light. And you know when it's night because there's pitch darkness. There's wow. nothing to see. All right, let me just go and sleep. And we had that experience and I really got encouraged that God knows what we need. Mm. He knows how much hours in the day you need to do what you have to do. And you will do according to where you live no much more than you can do. When that night reaches, it's going to be hard to try to struggle to to stretch yourself further than the day would have carried you right. using a phone light mm-hmm. or using a flashlight. You would eventually get tired and be like, well, not. Nah, all around me say night time, let me go and sleep. Exactly. Wow. What a clear principle. Something that a lot of people wouldn't see in that, you know, coming to the countryside where you're kind of put back into a state where God would have an, an ideal state, you know, where your body... Um, your biological clock, your circadian rhythm is even in harmony with the nature around you. And um, you said something interesting when you were mentioning Moses and David and Elijah and their former training. So I want to ask both of you about your trade, you know, what trade you might have or what skills, interest, and how either maybe it's something that developed in the world seemingly, but then God somehow showed you that you could use it for his glory. Yeah, okay, um... With me, well, I have I didn't came up, come out of school with you know the 
passes, he passes that um, you know, my wife did. But what happened was after school, I decided, you know, I'm going to do a treat. And I went and did electrical, at that point, an electrical installation that's domestically electrical. And, you know, I came out with all the, you know, excelling in it and coming out very good. Uh, but as I said, that was also, that was also in my worldly time. Okay. So again, there was a, a retraining for me also too. So when I came out, my dad, my dad is a mason, so he would build, he would do some carpentry and stuff. But the thing is, what he did, he did, he pushed me academically in terms of um, getting your education, you know, having your passes so that you could get a job and sit down and do these things. But what I saw missing was the fact that I didn't know how to build a house. Mm. I didn't know how to run a home. I didn't know how to do these things. So God had a retraining to do on my part also too. And having the, the electrical skill, at that point in time, remember, they, they only train you in that one specific field. So you didn't really know how to do a little bit of masonry, some carpentry, either if it's auto mechanics or whatever it may be. You may just have auto electric, electrical. So in that way, it still only limits you to the, uh, the, the abilities that you have, mm-hmm. you know? And as I said before, that was part of my worldly years. What happened? My mom died when... Secondary school, I, I was around 13 14 years of age, and she passed. And my dad ha- having to work, you know, still pushing the education, education, it would have still been hard because now you don't have both parents right. to give you, you know, that time and attention that you, that you need. You need. And when that happened, I eventually came to that place whereby still being worldly and whatever is the case, and coming to that point. Coming to that point whereby, all right, they just have electrical trade, but there are still things that they cannot do. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom passing in the earlier years, I learned to cook, I learned to take care of a house. So many people may say it's a negative, um, life has taken a bad turn on me. But looking back at it now, I know how to cook for my family because my dad working, I had a brother there and a little sister that I had to take care of. And, you know, I learned to, to cook. I learned to take care of a home. I learned how to, to run things in the home because my dad would have been able to say, well, here's what goes on, you know. I'm working. I can't afford to make the groceries, so I'm going to leave you with such and such amounts of money. You have to learn to, you know, how to make groceries and plan your meals. So that that in itself wasn't a negative. And many things that we look at in life are sometimes we think it's negative. I think in losing my mom would have been a negative on my life. But... Coming to this day and age, I realize, hey, I've learned actually skills of how to properly take care of a home, wow. you know, and eventually being out here in country you now, having just that electrical trade, I realized that did not work because you live in the bush, there's mm. no light poles, there's no, <laughs> so what am I going to do with electrical in the bush? Right. That, in the country, that doesn't make any, any um, sense. So the, the folks that I, I dwelt here with, the guy actually knew how to do some auto mechanics, he knew how to do some carpentry, he knew how to do masonry and I would just sit and just watch him and just watch him and watch him and then I'd be like I could go back and do mm. that and so I would just go by watching by watching and I I don't know what the word they call it but there's a we where someone could look and be able to, to, to repeat so I it was I saw him and then I would like I'm going to try that and then I just started to go and I wow. made I made my little mistakes but then I was like oh so that's why he did this and that's why they so the the connecting dots in my head you know so I, I already had it when I was early, 
in my earlier school year because my parents told me I was very brilliant. I skipped a few classes because they said I was above the class that I was in and they skipped me a few classes ahead. So I, I know I always had that, um, that academia to see. But what went on was I think the loss of my mom mm -hmm. created a gap whereby a key part of your life is out now that console, consolidation that you get from your mom and that right. warmth and loving part. You know, to somebody to tell you, you're doing good or you're wrong. My father, uh, he was there, but he had to work right. because he had to keep the household running and, you know, he would be out most of the time. But yet still, being able, to, being put in that situation, it's like a Joseph situation. I've been, you know, taken away from my family, but I had to learn mm. to, to grow or to become more stable in society and it, it helped. So I, I, I learned to cook. I, I fell in love with cooking. And I learned a, a lot of skills through cooking and now it's actually one of my major talents in terms of making health food and this type of thing. And now I've learned a little masonry, I've learned a little carpentry, I've learned a little auto mechanics. I've learned a, a lot of different skills and plenty of them was just by, you know, watching. But with prayer, I don't want to leave out that. Mm -hmm. It was actually with a lot of prayer. I always used to say to God, quoting that text from James, say if any of you lack wisdom, all he need to do is ask and the Lord will give it to, to him. Liberally. Liberally. Yes. And upgrade it not. So I saw God did that in my life in terms of teaching me things that I did not know how to do. Mm -hmm. And what you see here based on today, the size of the house is help. But the frame and how everything that is structured in such a way is things I've learned and keep trying. And it's not wow. it's not perfect but it functions. And that I think is the best part of what I see. Have teach me skills in this home. The house is able to function. We're not getting wet when we're sleeping. Mm. So you know, so I, God has brought me a, a long way in terms of you know thinking that the acadi academic side has been lost, but it has not been lost. You know, He He wanted us a lot more hands on, and even being able to use study the, the Bible today, God has shown that difference in terms of they will say, well, hey. You know, somebody would think you came up with no passes. How are you able right. to teach the Bible in such a way? And mm -hmm. that has to be a God-given gift. Not Man cannot do that. Amen. Wow, that's amazing that God just pretty much equipped you both with mm -hmm. the skills to be able to even uh, start a life out here. And a lot of people are even afraid to make that step because they're thinking, I don't know how to do, I don't know how to build a house. You know, I don't know how to, to really do anything. I don't know how, how to cook, <laughs> you know, and they don't want to make that step. But you both, your lives are living testimonies that God just put it all together. And as you look around the home, like you said, it's, it's a reminder of, yeah. well, I learned this skill. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we're not, we're not getting wet and whatnot. And um, you mentioned even cooking. Are you, are you the cook of the house pretty much? Yes, I was the, I was the original cook of the house. But, <laughs> you know, my wife have talents of her own. And, I'd like to know, hear a little more about that too. <laughs> I don't know if she would like to acknowledge it, but yes, I'm the one who, who helped her in her cooking. To hear more of Karen and Camellia's testimony, be sure to check out part two of the interview. They'll talk about acquiring skills, young marriage, and the adjustments of country life. He opened up ways that I can have even a country living experience. Mm -hmm. and, oh my, that was a journey.